in the time had fully come, God sent his son. God sent his son born of a woman. God sent his son born of a woman. Okay, so, Christmas is just around the corner, isn't it? Christmas is just around the corner. The the houses, I guess, have probably been decorated. Uh, The Christmas parties um, have begun, and um, the Christmas shopping is maybe nearly all finished. You've all gone out, and you've all bought your minister something extra, especially amazing this year. Christmas is just around the corner. And because of that, in the church, in the church here, over the past number of weeks, we have been considering something of who Jesus is. Now Christmas is coming. So we've been considering together something about the, the person of Jesus Christ. Christmas is just around the corner. So we've been considering who it was that was in that manger all those years ago. And what have we seen? Well, we've seen that Jesus Christ had a human nature, haven't we? The reason that we are celebrating Christmas is, of course, because God became a man. We've seen that, human nature. And then, of course, we've seen the the flip side of that, too. That last week we saw that, that, that part of the miracle of this time of year is that that baby in the manger wasn't just man, that the baby in the manger, that he also had a fully divine nature too. Jesus Christ, both fully human, fully divine. That's what we've seen so far, okay. But this morning there is one final, there's there's one last kind of step that we've got to take. If we are going to come to terms with, if we're going to grasp the nature is the person of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know if I don't know about you, but I think if we're honest, all this talk of the natures of Jesus Christ can be a little bit confusing, can't it? I mean it can raise quite a few questions for us. You know, how can Jesus Christ be both? A hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. I mean, how can he be both human and divine? I mean, how does it work? You know, how can, on one hand, we talk about the, you know, the limitations of Jesus' knowledge as a human? How can we talk about that? And then in the next breath, talk about the fact that Jesus is God and knows everything. How does it work? How do these natures, how do they sit together? Well, folks, that's exactly what we are going to uh, look at this morning. Um, the sermon title, as you've, you've seen in, your, in the white sheet, I'm sure, is that we're going to look today at the relationship between Jesus' human and divine nature. Okay? His natures. The relationship between his humanity and his divinity. And I'm guessing that everyone in here has heard of a triple-A battery. Everyone knows what a triple-A battery is? I'm sure. I was looking for one yesterday and I couldn't find one. Well, 
That's really what we've got today. I mean, if we're looking at these relationships, the natures, how it works, we're going to look at three A's. Okay, that's our triple A battery. Three A's. Friends, let's make a start. Let's consider our first point. Let's consider our first A, and it's this. A crucial affirmation. Okay? A crucial affirmation. And what we're going to do here, in this first heading, this first point, what we're going to do is we are going to work toward a statement. Okay, we're going to try and get uh, to a statement. By the end, we should hopefully get to a nice, concise affirmation. That We should get to a nice, concise statement that will help us to understand the relationship between Jesus' divinity and his humanity. So we're going to work toward a statement together. And it is a statement in two parts. So, let's think about the first part of the statement. And I read this week of an elementary illustration that should kind of help us with this, all right? It's an illustration about a science experiment for kids. They are always good. A science experiment for children. Now, what you do in this experiment is you give the child in question... A glass of water. That's fine. Then you give the child a cup of ink, which is, I'm sure, quite a dangerous thing to do. Then what you do is you tell the child to add the cup of ink to the glass of water and then ask the child to describe that liquid. You following me? You got a glass of water. Kids got a glass of water. The cup of ink. Ink goes into the water. Then you tell the child to describe what that liquid is. And of course, now that the ink has been added to the liquid, that liquid, the child couldn't really say it's water, but neither could the kid really say that what they've got in that liquid is ink. And what you're going to get from the child is probably something like, it's inky water. That's what the liquid is. Well, you see... That illustrates for us a heresy that arose in the church in regard to the relationship between between Jesus' divine and human natures. Because you see, Eutychonists, easy for you to say, in the 5th century, they claimed that when Jesus' human nature, ink, was added to Jesus' divine nature, water, well, they claimed that what happened was that this third thing, that this third being arose, that this third nature came into existence. And of course what happened, as we saw last week, what happened was that the church responded to this. The church got together in a place called Chalcedon in 451 AD, And then when faced with this teaching that a third being, a third nature arose, they stood in complete opposition to this. They said, no way. And they claimed that this was heresy, that this was wrong, that this was unbiblical. Now you're with me so far, but you may be asking, why are we talking about this here today? I'll tell you why. 
You see, folks, this morning, we have got to be sure that we, you and I, that we don't think about Bethlehem. That we don't think about the incarnation in terms like those. We, you and I, we've got to be sure and very clear in our own hearts and in our own minds that when Jesus became man, that one nature did not alter the, pro- the properties of the other nature. I mean, we've got to be sure that when Jesus became man, that he remained fully, 100% human. He remained 100% divine. And of course, that takes us to the first part of this statement that we're trying to get to here this morning. You see, we've got to see that the human and divine natures of Jesus Christ, they are distinct. The human and divine natures of Jesus Christ, they are distinct. They're not like ink and water, you see? I mean, they don't, a Bethlehem sort of nicely mix or they don't combine together. The human and divine natures of Jesus Christ are distinct. So that's the first part of our statement. What about the second part of the statement? Well, as you all know, even if it's just judging by my weird accent, I am uh, from a land far, far away. I am from Bonnie, Scotland. And uh, I think because of that, I'm sort of increasingly finding that people are asking me about that uh, upcoming referendum on Scottish independence. And people are asking an awful lot about that just now. And I think... Um, for a lot of people outside the UK, you know, the, the, the relationship between Scotland and England is a bit complicated. You know, for people outside the UK, the interplay between the two countries is quite confusing. I remember I was asked not all that long ago by an American friend, he sort of said to me, Andy, and you have to excuse my American accent, um, Andy, uh, Tell me, is Scotland, is it part of England? And uh, I have to tell you, I put that man in his place very, very, very quickly. Um, But, you see, in such circumstances, if I am asked about the relationship between the two countries, I tend to say that Scotland and England, they are two nations that are different, but they are Two nations united in one country, Great Britain. Say it again. Scotland and England are different. Different. But they're united together in one country, Great Britain. And you see, that again helps us to to illustrate the other mistake that is made about the relationship between Jesus' natures. Because you see, what happened was that um, after that first heresy, another heresy arose in the church. This one will test anyone who's taken notes, because it is called Nestorianism. Okay? Nestorianism. Now, these guys, they went to the opposite extreme. They emphasized not the sort of mixing and combining of Jesus' natures. These guys 
They emphasized the division of Jesus' humanity and divinity to the extent that they taught that Jesus was in fact two people in one body. You know, they taught that Jesus had two thought processes, that Jesus Christ had had two minds, two people, two people. Well, again, of course, uh, the church got together at Calcedon, and again, it rebuffed this, and these early church fathers, they got together and they said, come on, you know, in Scripture... When Jesus is speaking about himself, what does he say? He will speak of himself as I. You know, I am the bread of life. Jesus doesn't say, we are the bread of life. Scripture says, when it speaks of Jesus coming into the world, how does it say? It It doesn't say God sent his sons. It's God sent his son. Jesus Christ is not two people. Jesus Christ is one. But of course, our concern just now isn't really with 5th century or 5th century heretics, is it? I mean, in some ways we don't really even care all that much about it. Our concern is for how you think, how I think about the incarnation. So again, I say to you, what do you think? Is there a danger that we slip into that sort of thinking that we've got there? You know, maybe when we're thinking at Christmas time about the incarnation, are we maybe slipping into dividing Jesus' humanity and his divinity? And in our minds, even if it's maybe slightly subconsciously, are we dividing Jesus' humanity and his divinity to the extent that we see him and think about Jesus as working in two separate ways? Do you think like that? Well, if so, please see this morning that that is clearly unbiblical. And instead, how about this? Let's embrace wholeheartedly the full statement that we've got on the relationship between Jesus and nature. We've seen the first part of the statement. Let's put it together. What is the full statement? Well, it is, of course, that in Jesus Christ, we have two distinct natures united in one person. In Jesus Christ, think of Scotland and England if you like. In Jesus Christ we have two distinct natures. And they are united in one person. That is the grand truth of what we're thinking about in the incarnation. It is what is called the hypostatic union. The at Bethlehem, all those years ago in that sort of lowly and humble environment, a baby was born and a baby like no other. Because he was a baby that was fully human. He was one who was fully divine. And he was one who was those things in one person. Do you see? It is a crucial affirmation. Jesus is two distinct natures. Two distinct natures in one person. Okay. Let's 
Let's move on. Let's consider. Remember our triple A battery. Let's consider a second A. Let's consider a crucial addition. A crucial addition. Okay, in that first point, I guess what you could say is that we were thinking about the who of Bethlehem. You know, we're thinking about who it was that was in the manger, one who was distinct, two natures distinct in one person. Well, let's change that a bit here. We've thought about the who. Now, I ask you, come with me as we think about the how of Bethlehem. See the who. What about the how? I mean, do you see what I mean? Like, how did the incarnation actually take place? I mean, what... What was, what was God doing? What was God's method? You know, as he unites humanity and divinity? What was his method? How did God do this? The how? And firstly, I'd ask you to think about what did not happen at Bethlehem. You see, you can correct me if I'm wrong after the service, okay? Um, but I think when, when you and I consider Bethlehem, you know, when we consider the sort of the really impoverished nature of what happens at Bethlehem, you know, the lowly circumstances and all that, when we think about that, we tend to think of the incarnation as a lowering of Jesus Christ. Do you agree with that? When we think of it as a lessening of, of, of Jesus Christ. And of course, in some ways, uh, that's right, and that's fine. It's fine, folks, so long as we don't take it too far. You see, we mustn't make the common mistake that many people make. Common mistake that many people make at this time of year. The mistake of thinking that in the incarnation, Jesus Christ lowered himself... And he lessened himself to the extent that what he did was remove his divine nature. We mustn't think of it like that. We mustn't think that in the incarnation at Bethlehem, that Jesus Christ shelved or put to the side his divinity, his divine nature. Because that is not what went down. Okay. So what did go down at Bethlehem? Well, here's one for you. Okay. You'll have to wake up and put your thinking caps on for this one. The incarnation was a lessening of Jesus through addition. It was a lessening of Jesus Christ through addition. Now, what on earth does that mean? Lessening through addition. What is that man talking about? Well, think of it this way. Um, I was sent this this week, okay? And I'm pretty sure it's an urban legend. But I'm going to go with it. I'm going to roll with it regardless, okay? It's the story of a pastor in the United States, okay? And this guy was going to his new congregation for the first time. And as is the way in some of these kind of uh, big, fancy congregations, 
What the church decided to do, you know, they decided, okay, we're going to get dolled up. The new minister is coming. Here comes the new pastor. This is his first Sunday. So they got their hair curled or whatever you do. And people put on their ties and their suits. They got all dolled up. But what the minister did, well, the minister, he decided to dress as a tramp. He decided to dress as a homeless man. He put on a sort of fake beard. And he put on, you know, dirty clothes. And what he did was he arrived early to see what sort of reaction he would get. And of course, uh, the congregation sort of shunned this homeless person. The congregation ignored him. And when he revealed himself uh, during the church service, uh, people were either, what were people, maybe ashamed or embarrassed, that sort of thing. Now, You see, that there is very, very similar to what Jesus Christ has done at Bethlehem, isn't it? You see, just as that new pastor, he in some ways lessened himself by putting on these dirty clothes, so we see in the incarnation that Jesus Christ has lessened himself by putting on the rags, the dirty clothes of humanity. You see, he's lessened himself. This is the important point. He's lessened himself not by taking off his divinity. He's lessened himself by adding to his divinity the filth and the rags of humanity. Now, when you hear that, is there a verse that pops into your head? Is there somewhere you go in Scripture? Is there? Does it ring true? What about Philippians 2 6? Will you listen to this, folks? Philippi, you don't need to turn it up. Philippians 2 6. You see, what are we thinking? What was Jesus? Well, we hear he was in very nature God. Then what happened? We're told that he made himself nothing. He was God, then he lessened himself. How did he do this? He made himself nothing. What does it say? By taking. By taking the form of a servant. Do you see it? He has lessened himself at Bethlehem. He has lowered himself by taking to the divine nature the rags, the clothes of humanity. And do you see what that, where that takes us? Do you see what that means for you this morning, for us? Because do you see the incredible lengths that Jesus was willing to go to in becoming a man? What incredible lengths. I mean, think about the pastor in that church. I mean, that dude there was a, resembled a homeless man for a couple of minutes, let's see. And what happened? Well, the guy was shunned and the guy was discarded. He was ignored. Well, consider what Jesus' rags of humanity meant for him. Because he did this, because he put on the rags of humanity, it meant that for the very first time, he was going to be subject to limitation. Didn't it? I mean, because he put on these rags of humanity, it meant that he was now going to be tested by the devil. 
I mean, because he's done this, it, it, it meant that he was going to be betrayed by a, a friend. I mean, it meant that he was going to be rejected by the people that he loved. Because he put on these clothes, it meant for the first time, he was going to be subject to pain. The first time, ever. He was going to know what it felt like to experience pain. Because he's done this, he was going to be kicked and punched. And he was going to be spat on. He was going to be humiliated in front of crowds of people. I mean, he was going to be tortured. Because he did this, he was going to be killed. Killed. All because he put on these garments of humanity. And then consider, will you, the reason that he did it. The very reason that he has lessened himself through addition. Why did he do it? Tell you, we hear it in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And you take anything away here, listen to this verse. Because it says, though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. Though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor. Do you get it? He loves you. He loves you. Can you see that? I mean, do you see it? Do you you feel it afresh this morning? Jesus Christ loves you. And because of that, to his divine nature, he added the rags of humanity and he lowered himself. It certainly was a crucial addition. A crucial addition. Okay, we've we've seen who it was. Remember what that was? Two distinct natures in one person. We've seen who it was in the manger. Now friends, we've seen something of how that happened. That the humanity was added to the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Now, let's close a very short point, our third A, and that is the crucial accuracy. The crucial accuracy. Now, I uh, (coughs) was online this week and I was reading an article about Africa, a journal article about Africa, and it was about um, the treatment of AIDS in that country, in that continent, rather. Um, and the gist of the article was that, there, you know, that obviously people were trying numerous ways of, of, of trying to, to treat HIV in Africa, but really only one medicine was proving effective. Now, obviously, it, it wasn't curing HIV, curing AIDS, but it was uh, certainly reducing the symptoms. I think the important thing from that is that even if medication was ever so slightly altered, even if it was changed slightly, it wouldn't work, would it? To treat HIV, the medicine had to be exactly like that. It couldn't be altered in any way. What we need to see as we close our look at the natures of Jesus Christ 
is that it had to be like that. It had to be like this. Two distinct natures, one person. It had to be like this. And we might hear, ah, but, but, but he's God. Come on. He's God. God can do anything. He's God. God can save humanity in any, any way. But what do we say? If man was going to be reconciled to God, it had to be like this. And then you might say to me this morning, Andy, we know that. We know that Jesus Christ had to be God. We've seen it. We know that Jesus Christ had to be man. We know this. We know it. Well, I would urge you this morning to ponder it anew and to think about the staggering precision of it all, will you? I mean, there's a necessity. But also think about the remarkable accuracy and precision of what God has done for us. You see, there had to be this this fully unadulterated human nature in order for Jesus to represent man. Yes, we know that. But there had to be a absolutely fully unadulterated divine nature too in order to represent God. And you see, all of that had to come perfect together. It had to be united in one living person in order that God and man would be brought together. Do you see? It had to be like that. It's all just so perfect and meticulous. Even the timing It's perfect. Think about our verse. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. It had to be like that. Or else everyone in this room, we would all be destined for torment in hell forever. It had to be like this. Hebrews 2 tells us he had to be made like his brothers. Such necessity, but such accuracy. Surely only God could have conceived of such a plan. And this morning together, in our time in here, we've seen something of the who of the manger, and we've seen something of the how of the manger. Well, consider just the why for a moment. I mean, why did this happen? Yes, we get it. You know, God loved us, but what was he achieving here? Why did he have this this necessary and precise plan? Well, will you do something for me? If your Bibles are open, look at our verse. I'll read it. It says, God his son, born of a woman, Born under law. Why did he do it? To redeem. He did it to redeem. See, God saw his son endure the misery of humanity. He saw his son be tortured and die. He saw all that misery. Why? It was all 
free us. It was all to redeem us from bondage. To free us from the slavery of our sin. If there is anything that outstrips the sheer precision of this plan, it is surely only its saving purpose. Isn't it? And so that brings us to our final question, isn't it? It's simply the question that determines your eternal destination. You see, this morning, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian this morning? I don't mean your mom, your dad. I don't mean the people that you came to church with. I mean you. Are you a Christian? You know, so you, you can consider today the, the nature of who Christ was and his divine nature and his human nature. So you consider this, 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 this great plan that God has instigated. Is this a plan that has freed you from your sin? Are you a Christian? Well, if not, I hope you see that today you can be. I hope you see that salvation, that liberty, that freedom from bondage, that is available today, that is available to you just now, and it is available through the one who was two distinct natures in one person. How about, why don't you come to Jesus Christ today? Come to him. Friends, um, Christmas is just around the corner, isn't it? It's nearly upon us. You see, this week, when you are wrapping your presents, when you are (coughs) writing your Christmas cards, you do something else. As you do that, will you pause and you worship God? For what he has done, we worship him that wine had fully come. He sent his son divine, born of a woman, humanity. He sent his son born of a woman. Let's pray.